Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with Mike Levin of LibertyBallers.com. Hi, Mike. Hi, Spike. It's a very, we've been uh, saying a very special rights to Ricky Sanchez today. Um, and I, like, I don't think uh, that is not an undersold, right? I mean, biggest episode so far, right? You had me sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yes. When this was agreed upon. Yeah. A few weeks ago. Uh, believe it or not, we have uh, our not only is our first guest on the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast um, a big one, um, and it is our first guest, but it is um, Sixers general manager Sam Hinkie. Um, Sixers our, general manager Sam Hinkie. No big deal, just Sam Hinkie on our stupid little podcast. Um, so we already talked to Sam. I'm not going to act like that didn't happen, but um, what? What? How'd that happen? But it was really cool, and Sam actually had to call us like three separate times to make it happen. A deal with me three weighing Mike in. Um, so it was very sexual. Yeah, it was very very sexual. So um, here is Mike and uh, my chat with Sixers general manager Sam Hankey. And here we all are. This feels big. <laughs> Uh, well, Sam is uh, getting ready to leave for Spain for the big uh, Sixers European trip. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for being our uh, what I would assume is your last call before getting on the plane. Let's uh, let's hope so. Let's hope <laughs> this is the last one. Um, the, uh, glad, Mike, Mike, I'm glad you think this feels big. This feels dangerous to me. <laughs> hey, Sam, it's okay. There's maybe seven listeners of the podcast, so nothing you said is even being recorded. Uh, it's just talking to us, really, is what it's about. <laughs> sure. Um, how do you, the uh, doing the preseason thing overseas, um, you, with you guys with so many things to figure out before the season starts, is that a, uh, do you think it's a help in bonding or a hindrance in, in, in distraction? Oh, I, that's the kind of thing I wouldn't even opine on. I don't, I don't know if it helps or hurts. I don't think it's as big as a distraction as people make it out to be. We always, we always joke, like, you know, people get all, tied up in knots over a, you know, a flight that's delayed and you get in really late. And I always think, like, if your team is so fragile they can't stand a flight delay, like, you're not very good. <laughs> so I think I think it'll be fine. I mean, we've got a lot to work out, of course. Uh, we've got a really young crew. Uh, I do think it'll, you know, it, it'll be fine for everybody to go over there and to spend some time together. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think a, a flight here or there is going to make a huge difference for us. Now, are you going to see Ricky Sanchez when you're in Spain? Because if you do, you have to tell him that we said hello. Yeah, he would. Uh, he, can you imagine how long it would take to explain to Ricky Sanchez <laughs> why a podcast is is called the Rights to Ricky Sanchez? Yeah, it it takes it, honestly to even the people that we've explained it to already that listen to the podcast is still a bit of an explanation. I think Mike Preston is the only guy that got the inherent humor because he was involved in the trading for and acquiring of uh, the rights to Ricky Sanchez. So, nice. um, the uh, you are a uh, it's funny you are a bit of a, a hero to a lot of Sixers fans and that have been wanting the Sixers to sort of take a certain direction for a long time, having been stuck in the in a sort of a middle ground since Iverson uh, since Iverson went away. Are you aware? And, and there have certainly been criticisms of you as well. Are you aware at all of the reaction to what you've done, at least in the general Philadelphia public and, and nationally, or do you tune that out? Oh, I you know I. I... I read most everything. Uh, unfortunately, I think that proves I'm naive. Still, um, 
I, I I can't ever gauge. You know, I think I think the web and social media and Twitter like makes it challenging to gauge. Is it a is it a uh, vocal minority or is it a vocal you know six human beings on the planet? Um, so I, I can't ever tell the the size of anything in particular. I'll, I'll say if you if you look around, you can find plenty of people that uh, like all teams. It's what's the fun of of following a professional sports team is you, you can find people who uh, think what we're doing is uh, reasonable. You can find people who can think what we're doing is completely unreasonable. That we're you know we're good people, we're terrible people, we're smart, we're idiots. Uh, it's all it seems to me to be all over the board and. I'm not astute enough yet to judge uh, how how big each crowd is. That probably seems like the smart way to go. Uh, it's never it never seemed like you were able to you and Daryl uh, execute a full rebuild in Houston, uh, whereas it seems now you're more willing to tear it down and, and start almost from the beginning. Why? What is the difference between uh, what you had uh, sort of free reign to do here? That maybe wasn't the case in Houston. Uh, I think each, um, I think each situation is different. Um, a lot of it is is uh, developed by uh, the tone of ownership. A lot of it is, you know, about time horizon um, and and how how patient you can be. And a lot of it is about um, style and where you think you might be able to get an edge. Uh, I would say, you know, one. There are many differences, and those are conversations that you know involve dozens of people over a long period of time, and and then and then transactions that may or may not um, come become available to you. I, I'd say one one big difference in Houston is, is we had a team that that won 50 plus for several years in a row with two young superstars, and then they both went down, mm-hmm. and and uh, but the surrounding cast around them, while not a uh, a lot of household names at the time, um, that crew was good enough to uh, win win half their games without the superstars, even with the superstars still on the roster. So during during those periods, um, our supporting cast, minus Yao and McGrady, could win half their games. Um, that's obviously not, that obviously wasn't the case here, that where you, you could take two superstars away and uh, and 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 be able to have some realistic chance of consistently um, uh, winning half your games, and so sometimes that's a, a little different set of. And I think a lot of what what any team does is is how to think about um, what what the future looks like, and to be really really brutally honest with yourself about you know what the reality of the situation that you find yourself in. I'll I'll never forget where I was the day. Uh, Daryl and I found out together that um, the Yao Ming's foot was broken and he was going to require surgery. And it was about six days before the draft. And uh, all of the ways that changes your mindset about what matters and what uh, what a window of opportunity looks like and and how you can get back to a another interesting window of opportunity as fast as he possibly can. The uh, the idea of a full rebuild is always very attractive to fans um, in in theory, but once rebuilding actually begins and there's losing, um, it becomes difficult to be as patient, I think, sometimes. Uh, how... How do you stay focused? Because I imagine you want to win, and you know there's not a lot of winning in the beginning. 
how is it difficult for you and how do you stay focused when when there will be what we think is so much losing at the start um, you know, nothing's known exactly how things will turn out. As we know, there's opportunity here with even with this young team to to um, surprise and to do some interesting things. You know, I, I think a real key is just like, where's your self worth come from? Personally, like, does it come from you know the world telling you you're great or the world reminding you, you know, every other day uh, during an NBA season that 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 you're smart or you're doing the right thing or that you're good at your job or can you stay focused on something that um, something that matters uh, over the over the long term um, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Jeff Bezos from Amazon and he talks a lot about like you know the long term being all that matters being all that matters and if you're and if you're if you're unwilling to be misunderstood you know in the short term much less much less a night here or there like Guess what? You'll never innovate. You'll just you'll just do you'll just do what what the what the masses want, right? And, and that, as we know, changes really quickly. And so, and I do think the key to to being successful at anything over the long term is like being able to focus on something and then break it down into smaller steps and hold yourself accountable to those and, and be clear about uh, the expectations of what. Might happen. I, I think the same way about players. I mean, we've had we've had Tony Roten, who's who's has been a you know mild supply, surprise in camp and has done well, and it's just been aggressive. And you know, Tony Roten's a guy picked in the draft, and um, you know, he, he he was picked in a reasonable place, sort of in the in the latter part of the first round, and he went to a to a really really solid Memphis team, and he didn't play. And we should have all expected that. I expected that that he wouldn't play. The team was really good, and he wasn't um, a perfect fit for them as a 19-year-old rookie. So we should have. Oh no! <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. It's just like that. Sam Hinkie vanished into space. I'm gonna yeah. hang. Up, I'm gonna hang up the phone in case he calls back. Okay. All right. Bye. Hello. We're all happy and together again. So I was going to say, was he like, jumped on the flight to Spain already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was like the gong show, like boring answer. We're done. We're no, moving on. No, it sounds, on. sounds more like the iPhone show, more than the, the gong show, I imagine. <laughs> okay. Um, what, what I was just saying about like a like a player wrote just an example, but it's others too. If, if you expect something to happen and then it happens, uh, it shouldn't like really negatively impact your view. Of of what what you thought might might transpire, um, and and I think that about Tony. So if you have certain expectations about um, you know what might happen on opening night for Miami, and then it happens, um, that shouldn't change the way you think about um, what should happen the next night or the next three hundred nights or the next seven hundred nights. Yeah, that, I mean that makes sense, and it definitely seems like. Uh... Like you're going out and getting guys that are potentially undervalued because of either the, the position their team was in uh, and the roles that they, you know, didn't have an opportunity to fill because of other talent available. Guys like maybe James Anderson, as well in there. Yeah, I would say you know the other thing that that I think stands out is um, maybe guys that um, 
hungry for opportunity and are hungry for a platform to showcase uh, that they can play and that they um, and that they're better than the world thinks, right? Even if circumstances have have made it challenging for them to get on the floor, you know, we've had um, you know some of the guys that have come here have had you know better opportunities for um, you know whether it's more money or uh, a, a different a different kind of structure somewhere else, but they but they came here because they saw that there was uh, there was a chance to play and there was opportunity to compete not not compete for a spot on the team but compete for minutes and compete for a spot in the rotation and um, you know it doesn't take you long to get hungry for that and for that to matter most over almost everything else that you just want to remind the world and sometimes remind yourself that you know you're a legitimate NBA player no matter what the the recent um, returns might have might have been about you. Uh, you went. Earlier you said about uh, innovation. Uh, I imagine uh, ownership's first response to the idea that trading Drew on draft night uh, was met with some surprise. Is that something that you brought up uh, in interviews, or was that just something you worked with over draft night? Um, yeah, I mean, just any time you trade a, um, a significant player like that, there's a lot of conversation about um all the trade-offs and all the considerations there. So, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the kind of thing that uh, we took lightly. And, um, you know, as you can, as you can probably tell with me already, it's, you know, it's not the kind of thing that, you know, I'm, I'm not one to act on a whim really. Uh, and so it's, it's the kind of thing that you have to, you have to have thought through. And often you, often you have to have thought through lots of things uh, frustratingly. So that like, just never come to fruition, right? You think through lots of, if this opportunity presents itself, what would I do? Uh, they feel like theoretical and a waste of time unless they present themselves and you realize that's the thing that you need to spend several days or longer thinking about um, and and the window is only 10 minutes long right well then you know good luck then then it's hard to it's hard to make a decision quickly then or it's hard to make a good decision quickly then if you haven't thought through it but the downside of that is it means you end up you end up spending a lot of time thinking about and and working through scenarios that uh, you're un- you're uncertain will ever actually be in front of you. Um, I you know I I'm not nearly uh, obviously as as uh, entrenched in it as you, but already I'm sick of defending the word analytics and your use of it. This is just me. Um, there seems to be like this sort of immediate negative response a lot of times to just the word. Why do you think that is? And I guess how do you best explain how you use it to somebody who has a negative reaction, who you either need or want to to convince? I I, I tell people uh, it's just human nature. I I've got it too. Say you know, say the word skinny jeans, and I have a negative reaction too. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wearing I'm, them right now, Sam. There, I can see, send you some pictures if you need. <laughs> no, please, please. The. Uh, you know, I think I think uh, you know sometimes looking at things from a different angle is is hard for all of us. It's hard for me sometimes. There's a lot of things out there I adopt really quickly, and there's a lot of things that that I'm really that I'm really slow to uh, embrace because I'm skeptical. And, and I think you I think you should be. Um, largely, it's just trying to use information I, to make all the decisions you can. I use it in my personal life a lot. I think we all do. I you know I, I tell people like you know it, it wasn't but you know, 40 years ago, before I was born, that, like, if you wanted to know if it would rain, you walked outside and looked to the west, right, and made your best guess, right? And now we, like, flip on our iPhone, we roll out of bed and try to figure out if we should 
if we should wear a jacket or not. Uh, and we use lots of data and lots of math and all sorts of things, and we don't even really care what they're doing. We just we just we just believe it because it's it, it it's inaccurate on on occasion, but it's never off a ton, and it and it helps you just guide you. Uh, the same thing is true everywhere else, including in all the de- all the decisions um, we make here. And and it's it, but it's just a part of it. You're still about the judgment of uh, of people and the, the culture of how you make decisions and how you integrate diverse viewpoints. That that's always going to be a part of it. Um, no no amount of um, no amount of analytics will change that. Now it might change which ones are interesting, right? Maybe maybe 70 years ago we could have had a really interesting like two-hour debate about who the best free throw shooter was in professional basketball, right? And now it's like that's really boring. Like let's just look up who shoots free throws the best because we count them, and they're all pretty they're all pretty similar. Now a lot of the things we count are uh, uh, harder to measure than that, and and you're less people are less confident about which is which. You still have to find a way to use both, and anything that anyone that tells you it's like you know it's exclusive, like oh I never use info, it's, it's not true. Sometimes they just use different, just different info. They use the opinions of people around them. They use uh, they use the, the statistics that are in front of them in a variety of ways, and and they use that to make info. They say hey you know he's 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 twenty, he's thirty, he's forty, right? And then you make your projections off of that based on history. Uh, this is this is really really similar to that. Yeah, and it seems like uh, Brett Brown doesn't seem like a guy that uh, is m- maybe uses that as much as someone like you does. So, so with hiring him, it's not like you were looking for uh, an exact replica of yourself. It seems like he's he's that viewpoint that you're looking for. Yeah, no, he's um, he's got strong convictions. He should. I, who would who would want a coach that didn't have strong convictions and just like. Anyone that presented them with an idea, they would just change, just overnight. Their whole system, like, oh, you know what? We should, we should, uh, uh, you know, we should, we should walk it up, and everyone should shoot bank shots, right? That's that's the key because someone, you know, someone I trust told me that yesterday. It was like you wouldn't you wouldn't have systems that last through through periods of time. He he wants what every coach that I've ever worked with, from Coach Van Gundy to um, Coach Adelman to Coach McHale more recently, and all of their assistants and all those staffs and all of our D League head coaches and all their assistants—they all want the same thing. They want to win, and so if they find something that um, they feel like will give them a chance to win, they're, they'll adopt really, really quickly, really quickly. And if they find something that they're less certain about, they'll ask a lot of questions and they'll and they'll share their skepticism. Like, I, I hear it, but I'm worried about this. You know, can you make me comfortable about that? And some some. Some piece of analysis you can really make people comfortable. Like, no, you, it's really like this, and you know, here's here's a dozen ways people have thought through it, and here's you know, we're happy to think through it all the ways you might want to think through it, but it's really, it's really clear. And you know, test me, test me. We'll see if we can if we can poke a hole in it because if you can, that's useful to everyone. That's useful to all of us if you can poke a hole in it. Other times they poke a hole in it, and and I'm the first one to say you're right. That's why we brought it up as an idea. Because you're right, in that situation, there are things at play more than just what this this dumb little computer um, can measure. And I agree with you; you should weight those more heavily. Um, 
you know, part of the advantage to using uh, advanced statistics, at least in the beginning, is that there was a smaller group of people using them. So not every team would use it. You can see by the growth of the Sloan Conference just how many more people use them now. Um, now that almost every team has somebody doing that and sort of using that analysis, how do you continue to have that part of what you do be an advantage uh, now that, you know, at least on some level, there's a more level playing field? Yeah, I think it's kind of the nature of just competitive advantage anywhere. Um, when do, when when do you feel like enough is enough, right? Do you say you say uh, this is this is something we should do? Okay, we hired one person, now we do it, right? Or do you say this is something we should completely disrupt ourselves on over and over and over, and we should we should tear up and start again and tear up and start again and innovate over and over and over because if we want to stay ahead, that's going to be required. I think that I think that gives you a chance to to stay ahead. Um, I think I think also uh, increasingly, Daryl once wrote a post about this um, a, a lot about who has the the most interesting data, right? So uh, Google isn't Google because they have a great search engine. Google's Google because they've they have the most data, and they've been and they've been collecting it on all of us and figuring out all of us for a long period of time now. And that kind of advantage uh, isn't insurmountable, but it's close. It's close. Where uh, if they if they were if they had spent all their time just trying to tweak one thing here or there, or have one more employee that could help with this area or that, it wouldn't help much. What they have is a is this huge moat around them that that is pretty hard to swim across for anybody that tries. So I heard that as you're trying to acquire Google. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to write about that right now. That, yeah, that would that would help. I I uh, we're we're trying to get to the minimum salary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brett Brown's been talking a lot about uh, nutrition and health and fitness, uh, and it seems like uh, you know Chip Kelly did the same thing for the Eagles, um, but we're hearing more about that. Why do you think that's something that's been ignored. Uh, I, I'm sure there's health and conditioning coaches before, but now it seems like it's such a concentration, and it, it just seems really important. Uh, but it's been previously ignored. Why do you think that is? Oh, I, I think it's just you know, in some part, it's the masses looking for a new edge, and you know that that includes us. It may be you know, it may be an area you could you could make some investments in and and see you know something interesting. Performance of our players is really critical. We 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 spend a lot of time and a lot of our our energies on uh, helping them practice and on teaching them and on showing them video and all those conditions. And uh, it's not a crazy thought to think, you know, we should spend the same amount of time to make sure that, you know, the fuel that they run on is, is as good as it can be. Um, did you... I, w- I will say, too, culturally, though, I think it's changed a little bit in the NBA with um, um, – more and more players um, really, really taking that seriously as a as a big part of um, a big part of their off season, a big part of their in season, a big part of their recovery. You know, from the, the Steve Nash diet, they kind of spread and you know, in Phoenix's team playing, it seemed like for a while with you know Jared Dudley and Grant Hill and other guys. Um, you know, from you know a guy like Kobe and his his work ethic and um, and then how seriously they take you know. All the hours of the day, not just not just the two hours a day of practice, and how those all tie together. 
obviously it was a collaborative process in Houston, and, and here it's a collaborative process as well, but what has it been like for you to be the guy with the final say, you know, with the, the rubber stamp on things? How has that been for you? I worry about what this says about my personality, but it's been fine. I, I, quite, <laughs> I, 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 um, I, I quite enjoy it, and it's been a, it's been a, uh, an interesting time. I, um, you know, I've been, I was with the Rockets for eight years and did several other things in my career, but um, you know, within within those realms, which are quite small compared to to this, or definitely quite small in publicity compared to this. Uh, you know, leadership's always been something that has has been natural for me and sort of a part of my life. And you know, it just during a during a period of my career, um, you know, it, it it didn't it didn't look like to the outside world that um, that that was a lot of what I was doing. But um, I would say people that know me would, would have said that this would have been really comfortable for me. Uh, just to get a little more specific for a second, whose whose role is it to? Is this, is this coming from you or coming from Brett or maybe a collaborative um, in terms of Thad Young developing more of an outside shot? Because that's something he had earlier in his career. Uh, and with Doug, he kind of went away from that. Is that something you want to bring back? And who's, who talks to him about that and who, who sort of uh, spawns that discussion? Oh, I would say I have, I have relationships with our players and uh, we'll try to set the tone in some small ways. But the Coach Brown does almost all the talking to our players. Almost all of it. So uh, that uh, all of all of how he wants a player to play, how he um, wants a player to uh, improve, the kinds of things he wants him to work on. Um, that's that's ninety nine percent in in Coach Brown's wheelhouse. Uh, and so he he spends the vast majority of his time doing that. I, I spend almost none. Speaking of shooting, it and maybe it just seems this way, but it seems like there are so many NBA guards who come into the league, and uh, and the the thought that the the refrain on them is, well, if he can just develop a jump shot, um, does it is are there more guards coming into the league that that aren't good shooters, um, and if so, why do you think that is? I my my nature is is really the this this tell you if I don't know, and I, I I don't know if there are more that are coming in. Um, and I do think I do think attacking players are um, have been rewarded a bit more recently, but uh, but I don't I don't know if there's a trend that there are more coming in. If if so, it's not one I'm I'm following. It's um, it just maybe the way it's, it's played out. Uh, Mark Cuban mentioned that uh, you know it, with his off season he signed you know a few guys at that eight to ten million dollar uh, a year mark and mentioned that he thought that there were so many teams looking to rebuild. Um, that there was that the inefficient that the inefficiency in the market was in those sorts of players. Um, you know, do you is it is it less of a sure bet if there are more people trying to rebuild? Is that just the the nature of the the beast, or does he is there a point to what he says? Oh, I, Mark's really good and won fifty odd games for whatever they did twelve, thirteen, fourteen years there straight. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he if he chose to um, zig while others zagged. I, don't, I think that's a reasonable approach. Um, I, it's probably better I don't comment on their their larger team strategy. I, I think I think they've been really well run for a long time, and now now one of my former colleagues in Houston um, is the GM there as well, who I think will will, will 
help them uh, in addition to uh, all the success they've had already. Uh, is, is it fair to say, and this is something that I've sort of harped on uh, endlessly and probably obnoxiously over the past few years that I've been doing this. You? Uh, me, yeah, go figure. <laughs> uh, is, there, is there sort of a refrain of uh, not settling for mediocrity and, uh, and just the middle ground? Maybe it, it felt like the Sixers for the past 10 years were just sort of spinning their wheels, uh, a lot of eighth seed finishes, and is that something that you come in and say that that's not – that's not something you're about? I would say outside of our team, um, I'm really wired that way in a bunch of ways. So the the, the difference when we pick a player, the difference in, in a rebounder who's a little above average and a rebounder who's second or third best in the league is totally different, totally different. And, and, and mediocrity is not helpful there at all and, and actually not very predictive of what um, what might happen, and if it is, it, it predicts that n- nothing special will happen. Um, and I'm the same with people. You know, we spent a lot of time um, hiring this summer, of course, from our coaching staff to uh, Brad, of course, and and a lot of people that you know you haven't heard about. And honestly, I'll spend a ton of my time doing that over the next um, uh, year or two. I think uh, a lot a lot of a lot of what we'll be about is trying to find great people, and uh, and and great's a real key word there because it has to um, the difference between um, the difference between someone great and how much leverage there is in that, and and someone that's uh, solid is is really big. Um, Sam, you've been very kind with your time, and I, I know uh, Mike told me that you only had fifteen or twenty minutes, and you're beyond that. So I just wanted to add, finish up with one question that Mike and I have discussed on several consecutive podcasts and then was um, reinforced by a tweet I saw from Tom Moore yesterday saying that uh, Spencer Hawes hit 15 consecutive three-pointers from all, co- all points on the court. Um, is Spencer Hawes going to lead the team in three-point shooting, Sam? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I wish I did. If I, if I did, uh, if I knew things with that precision, maybe, maybe things would be different. Uh, I'll say this. I, I, I think that's a little flippantly, so, you know, maybe... Maybe the the world will search in a way I haven't searched because I don't care about this question as much. But uh, and, and prove me wrong. But I I think he's the best shooting center in the game. I I don't. I mean, name one name one better. Right? Brad Miller's retired, and we had Brad Miller in Houston. He he was legit. Uh, Memento core is gone. Um, you know, Chris maybe, Bosch plays, Chris Bosch plays a lot of five. You know, when it counts, but. Is there anyone else close? Channing Fry? Yeah, I was going to say Channing Fry. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I, you know. Well. Maybe. Maybe like. Yeah. Maybe some. Some would call him as much four as five. But yeah. yeah that's that's yeah. not that's not a, that's not a crazy notion for sure. He belongs in that conversation. Wow. So it's at least a possibility. We can at least say that Spencer Hawes leading the team in three I'll, point shooting is possible. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think you can say uh, we have the best shooter in the league at another position. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely so, true. If, if we if we measure it that way, uh, maybe. But uh, you know, there's a lot to there's a lot to be played out. He has shot it very well, and he's loved the uh, he's loved the new emphasis on uh, playing behind the line. Well, we um, we love what what you've done so far and what you've brought, and at least the um, the uh, the the brazen position you've taken, or what seems like that is so far in what you've done with the team, and you've made it 
um, you made it very interesting for us. Uh, and uh, we, at, at both Mike and I, I, I'm sure I speak for Mike when I say that we, we, uh, we wish you the best of luck and also that we're counting on you. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. All right. Uh, have a safe trip. All right. Take care. Thanks, Sam. So that was our, our talk with Sam Hinkie. He was cool, right? I mean, like, that was all we could have imagined, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just trying to make him laugh as many times as possible. I had uh, just a whole stand-up set that you know, <laughs> I didn't really get to, but I think I got a few. And uh, he's awesome. Yeah, just I didn't I didn't want to just completely, you know, just stroke his ego and wiener uh, consecutively. Uh, but uh, he knows he knows what he's doing, and I I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, very much. Uh, we we also we appreciate the uh, Sam and the Sixers recognizing like for what it's worth, we did not ask for Sam Hinkie. Like we didn't. I haven't asked the Sixers for anything for the podcast. Like I got an email from uh, from them reaching out to us to see if um, we'd like to have Sam on. So obviously, then, we we owe Sam and uh, and the Sixers a big thanks for that as well. And then when you well when you told me we may have a guest, my first guess was okay it's spencer hawes because it was right after yeah it was right after the spencer hawes podcast uh and i was like great you know me and spencer will just keep up our blossoming friendship uh then i was like well maybe it's ricky sanchez maybe i did think for a second that maybe maybe preston has ricky for us and we would have had to learn spanish uh <laughs> i know some you ask him about like uh uh where the pencil sharpener is but uh it was, you know, Sam. Sam was not a bad alternative. He was an okay, okay substitute for Ricky Sanchez. I thought it was brazen by you. Like I wasn't totally sure he knew what the name of our podcast was, <laughs> even when we had him on. So it's very brazen of you to open up with a Ricky Sanchez question. And clearly, he got it, <laughs> but it was very brazen of you. Like, hey, buddy, you better know, recognize what show you're on. Is basically <laughs> what I heard out of you. Listen, this ain't the right feed and bath church, bro. <laughs> <laughs> not the rights to Darius Sangala. Not the oh, rights well. to uh, who's the uh, not the rights to uh, Elson. Wait, Francisco Elson, uh, Primo Brezic. Primo Brezic. Um, uh, yeah, and we we both had like obviously we had, and I'm sure um, anyone who's listening to this say you should have asked A, B, or C or D. We had a lot of questions. Obviously, we were only supposed to get 20 minutes with Sam. He stayed on the phone almost a half an hour. So, um, including clearly, that. he doesn't believe in numbers. Yeah. <laughs> When we asked how long we had, we just got a series of zeros and ones, so we assumed it was 20 minutes. So, um, he actually didn't even talk to us. We had to transcribe uh, his just texting us zeros and ones. Yeah. And we turned that into his voice. <laughs> okay. Well, that's about it. There was nothing else that happened this week, right, that we need to talk about, I don't think? No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, relationship advice, you know, yeah. this is what you came for. Uh, I would say just in general... Be nice to each other. Yeah, be nice to each other. Um, love each other. Um, and uh, Sam Hinky forever. And we'll talk to you Sam, next week. Sam Hinky forever, guys. Like I said, hold your head, son, don't take-